I'm always amazed with everything you do. How lucky I am to spend all time with you. And I'll be here for you, no need to fear. When you're worried, I'll wipe away those tears. And when you look at me and smile, I'm taken aback for a little while. The way you are and the things you say, the things you do to make me feel this way. Love you, Tara, just the way you are. You're my perfect angel. You're my superstar. Woohoo! I do love you. This, this, this is the House Flipping HQ podcast. Now let's get flipping with your host, Justin Williams. Direct mail is the number one method myself and most other investors are using in today's market to buy discounted investment properties. And yellowletters.com is the company we use to get the job done for us. Not only are the folks at yellowletters.com expert marketers, but they are real estate investors themselves. So they understand exactly what you need to be successful in this business. Contact a rep at yellowletters.com today to begin working on a direct mail campaign that fits your real estate investment needs and budget. And mention the code HFHQ to get 10% off your next order. Need funding for your deals? Looking to take your current house flipping business to the next level? Anchor Loans is one of only two companies that we currently are using to get our house flipping deals funded. Whether you're looking to get partial or full funding, Anchor Loans has a program that will work for you. And if you are a seasoned investor doing a higher volume of deals, ask them about their line of credit program, something that we are currently getting started on as well. For more information, visit anchorloans.com. And as always, mention my name, Justin Williams, or House Flipping HQ, so they know where you came from. Hey, what's going on, my fellow house flipping business creators? Yes, that's right. As you know, we are here not only to learn how to flip houses, but how to create a business that will work for us and not only have us work for it. I hope you enjoyed that little jingle there at the beginning. For the record, no, that was not just another love song to one of my houses, although I do love them very much. But that was part of a song that I wrote and sang for my wife a couple of weeks ago on her birthday. At the end of the amazing interview you're about to listen to with Brian Burke, he gives two parting words of advice. One of the things he said was just very sound business advice, which I loved what he said. But the other thing he said just really struck me. He said, happy wife, happy life. Meaning sometimes it's so easy for us to get caught up in creating our businesses, which is good and we should be doing that. But we get so focused on that and we forget about the reasons why we're doing that. So his words just kind of reminded me of that and you know made me think of my family and my wife and the things that are most important to me. And um, you know, I just wanted to publicly make mention here that Without Tara, none of this, number one, would be possible. And number two, none of it would really matter. So um, anyway, 
Just something important for us to all keep in mind as we go about our businesses and our daily lives and remember why we're doing what we're doing and to keep our priorities straight and to keep those things in mind. Anyway, I'll, I will include um, the entire song along with the video tribute that I did for her uh, for this past year in the show notes at houseflippinghq.com slash episode 43 uh, if you want to check that out. Alrighty, so moving right along here. First off, I wanted to make mention that in the uh, little commercial that we did for Yellow Letters, I mentioned that it's 10% off your first order, but in actuality, we made an order this week and we got the 10% off, booyah, which saved us a ton of money. Um, And Kel, my acquisitions assistant, called up and asked if it was only a one-time thing. So I wanted to make sure that we weren't using the code and when we weren't supposed to because, you know, just wanted to be honest and all. And they said, nope, anytime uh, you make an order with them, you can get 10% off using the HFHQ code. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so if you've already used yellow letters in the past, uh, you can go ahead and use them again and get a 10% off on that code, HFHQ. You can either input that in there um, when you go to make your order or when you call them up, you can just give them the code and they'll get you 10% off your order, which is a pretty uh, significant savings. So I encourage you to check that out. Uh, and yeah, we're sending out a ton of mail. So I encourage you to do the same. Just don't send them to the same areas I am, okay? Okay, or, or unless you wanna sell them to me, that's all right too. All right, okay, okay, sounds good, deal. Okay, so as you know, we are currently in the midst of our beta program for the Fell Forward Fast coaching and implementation program, which will be launching in July. And it has been an incredible experience. We're just finishing up the two weeks of the uh, boot camp educational um, part of this series. And the feedback has been phenomenal. Just wanted to read really quickly one of the comments I got a couple days ago. It's from David and Kelly Kent who, by the way, just recently closed on a $10,000 wholesale deal. So congratulations, David uh, and Kelly. So it says, unsolicited, Kelly and I have spent well over $50,000 on real estate training and coaching, many boot camps, seminars, webinars, gurus, etc. Honestly, I would trade all of it for access to Justin's website and his triple F program, meaning fell forward fast program. If you are brand new, you may not fully understand what you've got here. This is the best real estate investing training that I have seen. And the recorded segmented format is actually superior to live instruction since it enables us to go back over information a few times if necessary and stop when we get to a saturation point. There are a few things I would change and add, but overall, this is the new gold standard. It is making a difference in our business. So guys, that just meant the world to me hearing that. And this is the whole reason why I'm doing this, you know, trying to provide affordable coaching for people like, you know, David and Kelly, that is actual real coaching and trying to just give it all I can. And, you know, like I said, this is the beta program. So we are just getting started and the actual fell forward fast program is going to be this times 10. So uh, anyway, if you have not had a chance to join us on one of our uh, workshops or webinars where we 
discuss more about this program, you can head to houseflippinghq.com slash webinar and sign up for our next webinar and we'll get you more information on that. Or you can just shoot us an email at info at houseflippinghq.com and would be happy to get you some more information on that. So thanks again, David and Kelly, and congrats on all the recent success. And I have a feeling you guys are going to do some pretty incredible things here uh, coming up in the near future. All right, guys. Well, it is now time for the main event, the moment you've all been waiting for. Um, Brian Burke has been doing this business much longer and flipped many more houses than I have. And I was honored to be able to interview him on my show. Uh, we discussed his systems for buying and running his house flipping business. And we discussed quite a bit about raising capital by creating a fund, which is something I really hope to do sometime in the near future. Um, anyway, Brian is just an overall genuine great guy who's just willing to share a lot of information about his business. And I'm very grateful for uh, that he came on the show. So, all right, guys, without any further ado, let's get right to it. The incredible Brian Burke. All right, Brian, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you. How how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. All right, Brian. So before we dive into, you know, your machine and all the, all the details of your business and how you're doing all these deals, give us a little more of your background. Let's kind of catch up to speed on, you know, help everyone realize that you weren't born from the womb, you know, doing, <laughs> doing the big business that you're currently doing. Give us a little more of your background. Let's kind of find out more about how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it's funny. I wasn't even born into the real estate business. I mean, you know, I, I'm the, uh, I think the only one of two members of my family that own a house. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, uh, I was interested in real estate from a really young age. Um, I started uh, looking into buying foreclosures right after I got out of high school. And I'm not even really sure what sparked my interest in doing that, but it just seemed like uh, there was money to be made. I always felt like I, I wanted to uh, have my own business and do my own thing. In fact, when I was young, I, I would, uh, we, we lived on a golf course and I would get golf balls in the backyard. So I'd collect all the golf balls and go to where the golf carts cross the road and sell the golf balls, Crazy. you know, just what, whatever I could do to be an entrepreneur at a really young age. So I, I knew that I probably wasn't cut out for working for the man and, uh, <laughs> that I had to, uh, had to have my own thing. So real estate seemed like a great way to go. So I started uh, looking into it, you know, when I was really young and, and uh, in fact, when I was uh, 20 years old, I bought my first property uh, and uh, it was a rental and got it with no money down. I had no money, so I didn't have a choice. Uh, and uh, I got uh, a lender to finance the first and I got the uh, seller to carry back uh, the rest of the down payment. Something that's a little more challenging to do now than it was back then because this was in 1989. Uh, and then I just grew it from there and uh, decided that I, I liked it. I had a lot of fun with it and uh, wanted to get into house flipping. I, I, I thought that was a good way to generate money. So started doing that uh, shortly thereafter and I've been, I've been doing it ever since. <laughs> awesome. So Right now, Brian, what is, I mean, before the interview, we talked for like one minute. A year, over a year ago, I listened to you on another podcast. So uh, my audience knows a lot of times when I don't know someone that well, which a lot of the guy, people I interview, I do know, but 
I don't know you that well. Um, so it's kind of like everyone's a fly on the wall and just listening to yeah. our conversation, right? Yeah. Um, so, well, first off, you said 1989. That's kind of when you got started. Yeah. So you've been doing this business for 10, where, what are we in now? 15 years? <laughs> yeah, 25 years. 20, oh, I missed, I missed a decade <laughs> you, you there. You missed a decade. <laughs> I missed a decade. No big deal, right? You look so That's young. Right. You look so young. Yeah, I just, geez. <laughs> okay, so. Well, remember, I started when I was really young, right? I, I got out of high school when I was 10. <laughs> Doogie Hauser, right? <laughs> Not the case. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what, yeah, what are you doing right now? What, what I mean, you're, you flipped, I saw your, your bio you, you flipped like over 500 houses or something like that. You're doing, are you still doing the volume you were doing like a year ago, like a hundred houses a year? Or what, what do you have going on right now? Uh, a little bit less volume now than before. Uh, my number's up now. I've done about 700 houses. Uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a good business. Um, you know, I, I think most of the 700 that I've done have been within the last five or six years. Okay. Uh, although I did a fair number, I had done a couple hundred uh, before the real estate collapse in 2005, 2006. Uh, took about uh, in mid, well, actually, I guess it was about 2004, right before the collapse. I started scaling way back and um, almost got out of the business, for lack of a better term. I went from down to flipping about four houses a year because the market just seemed super frothy and uh, it, it was a little scary time to be in real estate. So I, I really scaled back. But in 2008, after the collapse had taken place, that's when it was time to really uh, hit the ground running and and took my business from about a 25 house a year pre-collapse size to about 100 to 120 houses a year, um, you know, in the, in the heat of the collapse and maintained that pace pretty consistently until uh, about a year ago when foreclosures kind of the bottom fell out of the foreclosure uh, volume and uh, that got reduced dramatically. So my deal flow went from, you know, 100 or so to about 40 to 50 ish, uh, which is about where I'm at right now, about a level like that. One thing that was interesting that happened, though, is uh, as I was transitioning through that market fluctuation here recently, the average price of the houses that I was doing went up. So when I look at my business from a dollar volume basis, <laughs> it's very similar today to what it was two years ago. Uh, it's just a lot less unit count, which yeah. I think is the best of both worlds. Oh, for sure. It, it's very interesting, Brian. Your story sounds somewhat similar to mine. You know, I've been doing um, this business for about seven years, so half as long. I flipped about half as many houses as you have, <laughs> and the first <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah, I know we're doing we're doing pretty good. But the first uh, half of that time, three and a half years, I had done a total of like forty houses, and now we're we're currently doing you know close to a hundred a year. But then also, uh, you were I don't know, are you still a trustee sell buyer? Yes. Okay, so I, I knew you were a trustee sell buyer, but yeah, I mean us too with you know trustee sells just over a year ago or so. You it's like you know it's just <laughs> yeah really started getting tough and we had to do some serious adjusting. Um, but yeah, so yeah, it's pretty cool. A lot of, a lot of similarities there. So, okay. So that brings us kind of up to where we are today. Oh, and then also with the increases of the homes last year, um, I bought la less houses last year than I did the year before by far, by about 50 or 60. 
and still made more money. So, right. Yeah. It's like, okay, <laughs> sweet. <you know? laughs> right. Yeah. I, I haven't really seen it, uh, you know, as an impact to the bottom line as substantially as I would have expected it to. And I think that's, you know, a testament to why uh, higher priced homes, uh, you know, have a, a, a compelling story behind them. Yeah. So I think, I think there's a lot of relativity in this mm-hmm. business when it's harder to buy it's because the demand is stronger, right? And so yeah. generally speaking, prices are driving up. Now, I'm not I'm not predicting markets here. I'm not, you know, it's not me. But uh, anyway, just throwing that out there. So it's kind of a lot of relativity, it seems like. Now, I want to ask you a question. When you, you mentioned something about you kind of saw it getting frothy and you kind of started to pull out. Did you have, what were your indicators? Did you have people you were following? Were you like, you know, did you follow Bruce Norris or, or, or anyone like that at the time that kind of helped you know that or you just fill that on your own? I, I didn't have any time to follow anybody. I, <laughs> I was, you know, at that time I was a pretty small, at a small organization. It was me, a bookkeeper and one other person. So I didn't have, uh, I didn't have any time to study markets the way I do now. It just, it was an intuitive feeling for me that just something didn't feel right and didn't look right. Uh, and I think I got that primarily from being a buyer and a seller. I mean, the, the one advantage that you have as being a house flipper is you're a buyer and a seller in the market mm-hmm. every single day. Yep. And when you're a trustee sale buyer, you're on the front line of real estate. So yeah. you know before anyone, when you're at the auction, you look at auction volume, you look at bidding, you look at how many people are in attendance and all these different things. And you get to know exactly what the real estate market's doing long before the newspapers or anybody yep. else yep. reports what's going on. So, you know, from seeing uh, the, the bids go crazy, from seeing almost no foreclosures on the market, from seeing very challenging conditions to buy, uh, seeing multiple overbids on the on the resale side, just everything didn't quite add up. And and I think the biggest factor for me was recognizing that most of the buyers that were buying were using loans where you weren't even paying the entire amount of interest on the loan. You were paying a portion of the interest and the rest would accrue on the back end. And, and just seeing that you had no qualifications to buy, there was no debt to income ratios. And you could just tell that something was yeah. about to go really, really wrong. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I always tell people because things slow down from last year and I'll have some people say, oh, real estate's not as good. I'm like, no, this is good. Like <laughs> if yeah. things are as wild as they were last year for the next few years, I would start to uh, to really panic as well. So we want a stabilized market. Um, that's in, right. In my opinion. So, uh, okay, let's talk about your your buying machine. I've actually never interviewed on my show, you know, a, a trustee sell, sell buyer. I don't know why. I just just happened probably because the last, since I've been doing it, there's not as many, right? It's because none of them talk. <laughs> That's true. That's a really good point, actually, Brian. <laughs> you know, when I was buying a high volume of trustee cells and like in the specific area, I wasn't going to real estate clubs. I wasn't talking to anybody either. Generally speaking, I'm very uh, open with everything I do. But yeah, that's that's a pretty good point. So, uh, right. <laughs> so, all right, let's see what we can get out of you, Brian. Let's see what we can get out of you. You're, I mean, you're in you're in Northern California, right? Yeah. Um, do you mind us talking about the trustee sale process or how? No, how no deep- problem. Okay. Okay. So let, let's talk about that. how are you, how are you buying your houses. Let's talk about your team. Um, how you go about this? Any so details you can give? I um. 
when I started in this business, uh, it was really tough. I was super young, so I couldn't, I didn't have a lot of luck going straight to sellers because they thought, you know, who's this kid that looks like he's 15 trying to buy my house. So, you know, I recognized a long time ago that, um, that strategy wasn't going to work for me. The only way I could do it was to buy at the auction because I figure at the auction, no one can say no, you know, you, you put in a bid and then you get the house. I love how the auction, the, the, Usually the best buyers are just dressed the most like scraggly. You yeah. notice that? Because <laughs> exactly. they're like, I don't care. I don't need to impress anybody. I don't answer anybody. Here you go. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah. So when they're walking to the auction, that's so that nobody robs them because, you know, they, yeah, they figure exactly. you they don't have any money. Um, yeah, it's true. I mean, what you look like doesn't matter no, you know, when you're matters. buying at the auction. The, the, but I had a significant problem as far as buying at the auction, and that was that to buy at the auction, you have to pay all cash. A lot of money. At the time of the uh, of the purchase, and I didn't have any money at all. Yeah. So you know, I had to I had to figure out how to overcome that hurdle, and and I did, and started buying at the auction. Uh, I bought exclusively at the auction uh, all the way up until uh, about three or four years ago. And about three or four years ago, I started supplementing my auction acquisition strategy with an REO acquisition strategy. Now, for those that haven't been in the business all that long, in 2000 through 2006, there was no such thing as an REO. And and if there was, there's one in a million. I mean, there just were no houses going back to the beneficiaries. They would always get bid at trustee sale and go third party. Somebody would buy it. So there was no viable business model there. But of course, you know, in the heat of the foreclosure debacle, there was for REOs everywhere. So I started buying REOs off MLS. Um, I still do that, although it's a very small portion of my business now yeah. because we're kind of getting back towards what it used to look uh-huh. like where there's yep. fewer and fewer REOs. Uh, so right now I'm acquiring uh, a partial trustee sale, partial REO, partial online auctions, partial... Uh, networking from people online or elsewhere that bring me deals like and partial and other investors exactly wholesalers okay. and uh, and partial from direct marketing to sellers which is something I swore I'd never do again but now I'm doing yep. again <laughs> yep we're just we're diving into all that same stuff too it's very yeah. very similar recently I used to hate working with wholesalers now they're my best buddies that's right I mean some of them I still yeah can't stand 90% of them, but there's a good handful <laughs> that bring me most of my deals right now. So I'm very grateful for them. And we're, yeah, really ramping up our direct marketing as well. So you got yeah. to, right. And we, we, yeah. um, just over a year ago, I mean, we were doing good. Life was good. We just moved to Southern, uh, Orange County, bought a new house, ocean view. And all of a sudden, like things really started to slow down. And I started to get really nervous. But anyway, this is your interview, not mine, right? I just ramble. Hey, I uh, ramble so much, Brian. But, but you know what? <laughs> one thing builds on another. And, and you're absolutely right. You know, the, the one thing about real estate is as the conditions change, you have to change with it. You absolutely. can't just continue to do the same thing the same way year after year. Yes. And I don't know about you, Brian, but I know so many people who are out of the game because they say, oh, you can't flip anymore. You can't, you can't do this business anymore. And it's because I've heard that for 25 years, oh not my a gosh. year has gone by oh. where I haven't heard you can't flip anymore and you can't get property at a discount. I love hearing you say that because I've been doing this for seven years and there has not been one day where I've talked to someone, woke up like, it's easy today. Yeah, never, no, no, never, never, never. I never. love but, that. 
and I kid you not, this is God's honest truth. I have never had a year go by where people didn't say this business was dead. You can't do it anymore. Even in 2008, people were saying it. And it wasn't because you couldn't buy. It was because they said, well, you can't sell any of this stuff. Nobody can get financing. Well, that's odd because I sold 100 houses and I didn't have any problem with that. I know a lot of people that made a lot of money during that time. I wish I was buying trustee sales during that time. (laughs) Yeah, it was was a fun few years. Yeah, I got in when it started getting a little tighter. And then, but... Okay, so that's great. Let's talk. Do you mind if we talk about your trusty cell machine a little sure. bit? Okay, so tell me about your team. So uh, the team, of course, evolves as the opportunity evolves. But essentially, the way I structure mine is I have uh, some field guys that are out there and going out and looking at the houses uh, prior to the auction. And, you know, in the, when there was a ton of auctions, we used to do this a week in, a, in advance. And we'd go out and hit every house because that way we could, there would be so many houses, we'd have to do zip code maps and and we'd try to find the most ultimate driving route to get from house to house to house to try to maximize it to eight houses an hour. Yeah, wow. (laughs) And uh, so we did that uh, for a number of years. Now that the volume is down lower, we don't have to be quite as organized. We can do it a little bit looser. We can do it closer to the time of the auction. In fact, some of them we can drive morning of. I still like to do it prior to uh, auction day though. And we go out and we look, uh, our field guys go out and look at the house. I've got a team in the office that what they do is they aggregate the data. So uh, a number of years ago, I wrote my own software for bidding at the trustee sales. Uh, I don't use foreclosure radar and a lot of the other, you know, websites that provide data. I like to do it old school and do everything in house. Nice. So we mine all of our own data. Our back office team puts it all in the software. Uh, Our field team goes out, does the inspection. They fill it out on a checklist. Checklist comes back to the home office. Uh, Home office uh, crew inputs the drive notes, picture the property, all that stuff into our uh, data structure. Uh, And then uh, on the day of the sale, we have auction bidders that go to the various auction sites and people that are in the back. Uh, background running valuation, uh, running comps, rent comps, because I also buy to hold as well as buy to flip now. Okay. Uh, so we we run all that, come up with a max bid. Our uh, our bidders out in the field, they can go on their iPad, log into a secure site, and they have all of our uh, properties that are going to sale and what their max bid is so they can see exactly uh, when they're cleared to bid and how much they're cleared to bid. And then they can tender the bids. We get the property, go out, knock on the door and then then we start the process. Do your thing, man. Do your wow. thing. Intense. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's interesting that, uh, how many counties, are you covering one county or are you covering more than one county? Uh, I'm covering uh, 13 counties. Wow. But trustee sale wise though, we're only doing, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five. I guess we got six counties trustee wow. sale. And 13 counties total, you know, that includes all the other methods of purchasing. See, I was only doing probably one in like one and a half counties with Uh with trustee cells. And since then, we've really expanded because we're not focused on trustee cells anymore, um, which allows, as you know, allows you to do that a little more. Yeah, Um, that's really interesting. We would usually check out the properties like the day before or the day of because Mm -hmm. of all the ones that would get uh, postponed or whatnot. But do you find that? you just have too many properties. So you have to look at them, but then you have, it's like kind of what comes first, right? I mean, then you're looking at more properties, but do you just save those notes for later on when they come back up or how do you? Yeah. Well, that's that? the great thing about having a, our own uh, software because when our driver goes out and does the, uh, does their inspection, 
everything that they do is in checklist format that's replicated in our internal software. And so we could get, you know, if the house goes to sale six months later, we have every word of notes and rehab budget and everything from when we looked at the house six months prior. So now the only thing we would have to do is if we're concerned about that house is just drive by. You don't drive even have by. to stop. Just drive by. Make, make sure, sure it's not it didn't burnt burn to the down. ground. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's all we have to do. But we still have all the rest of the data that we need. So that's, that's awesome. uh having the software is the only way you can do that without that there's just it was it'd be too difficult in the high volume days it would have been too difficult to really do it any other way i mean you know we were looking at about 60 or 60 to 80 houses on our auction calendar every single day there's no way we could have drove all those houses that morning no way and it's true if you're keeping track of all the postponements um Mm -hmm. you know that then that's it comes up and you're you're ready to go so yeah that's yeah. cool. Now you're, but you're comping and doing the analysis pretty much the day of, it sounds like. Yeah, that's what, that's the last thing we'll do. And then, you know, of course, when we put our valuation in, it, it tags a date. So we know like, okay, next, if it postpones, did we value that uh, a week ago or did we value that a year ago? Okay. So, you know, it'll flag us and tell us when we have to go in and update the Nice. Uh, update the valuation and no the uh, software is not for sale it's not available and no one can have it so if you're thinking of emailing me and saying hey can i get a copy of that uh, save yourself the time <laughs> yeah and i i uh I've, i was gonna tease you about it like how, how i could get it but i've yeah, got a, sure i've got a were. friend who you know he's spent i haven't talked to him in a year or so but yeah he spent like twenty five thousand dollars on some trusty cell software as well i mean it's it's pretty, the thing about trustee sales, and everyone who's listening knows I'm a big believer in abundance, right? But there's, there is both in life. When you're at a trustee sale, and I remember one specific house, this was a house in Barstow that was super cheap. Barstow was like out in the middle of nowhere, right? Um, this house was going like for, the starting bid was like $8,000. It was insane. It was like at the very bottom of the market. And this guy, it's just me and him. That's it. I could have bought the thing for eight thousand, but he bid me all the way up to like eighteen thousand. You know, so that one guy cost <laughs> yeah. me ten grand. I still made a killing on the house, but um, that is okay. That moment at that time, yes, there's only one house, two bidders or twenty bidders in in most cases, and it's it's a little different animal. So I I totally get it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So just for everybody listening, I realize we're kind of talking because we both know about trustee sales. I am going to link in the show notes to a pretty in-depth article I wrote on trustee sales. But for the record, trustee sales is not necessarily a beginner's game. It's not for the faint of heart. You can lose money. There's no title insurance. You get what you get. No inspections. So just a total disclaimer here, right, Brian? I mean... Oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if, if anybody's thinking, and I get this question a lot, gosh, you know, I'd like to buy a house at the auction or I want to buy the house I want to live in at the auction. Oh, my it's gosh. Like, oh, please don't do that because... Forget about it. Yeah, you're not going to like the house, and you know that's just the worst way to buy a house. You know, and you know, having so many of these under my belt, I can tell stories where you would say you would never bid at the auction. You know, if if it's if you have ten houses like I've had, and those are the only ten you ever bought, you would be bankrupt. But when it's ten of seven hundred, yeah. I can absorb that. So yeah. buying at the trustee sale is great if you're a professional buyer. You buy consistently and often and in high volume. It's the worst place for you to buy a property if you're a a, a one-off buyer or if you're a casual buyer or very low volume flipper. It's just way too dangerous. You know, I have one right now that 
we've been in uh, litigation on for over three and a half years. Wow. I've spent $140,000 in legal Jeez. fees. And I was just simply the third party buyer. And the dispute is between the former owner and the lender. So, I mean, if that's the only one you've ever bought, you're done. Yeah, so, exactly. And that's just one example. And so, and I yeah. tell people the same thing for any high risk property you're buying. You know, there are times when I will buy a house and the resale value is not clear. But if I think there's a pretty good chance I can do pretty well, I'm willing to take that small risk. You know, look at my best opportunity and my worst case scenario. If my worst case scenario is not horrible and my best one's really good, I'll sometimes go for it. Yeah. But it's kind of like you said. I don't mind losing money on one out of every 15 houses a little bit. You know, not, not a lot, just a little bit of money <laughs> or something right. because I can absorb those costs. So it's you just got to keep that in mind when you're yeah, starting out. Sure. You got to be a little more more conservative and buy in conservative ways and and whatnot. So how are you funding all these um, properties? You know, it takes cash. Uh, mm -hmm. I, do you have a fund, I believe, or I'll, I'll let you talk about it. Yeah, I've got several funds. Um, when I... Uh, when I quit my job, I, I actually did have a job at one time. I was uh, I was in law enforcement, and I, it was a great job for me because uh, you know working uh, in the in the police business, it's a night and weekend business. So uh, I would work swing shift on the weekends, and I'd have the business week off to to buy its trustee sales. So nice. uh, it was kind of the perfect uh, setup for me. But after 14 years of doing that and kind of doing both. Uh, I decided it was time for me to go full time. So when I went full time, I, uh, I put my two weeks notice in and I went down to the station and I announced to all the guys, I said, guys, I'm, uh, I put in my two weeks notice and uh, it, it, next week I rented out the room over at the community center and I'm going to talk about what I'm doing in real estate. I want all you guys to wow. come. So all the guys from work came and uh, I gave a presentation on what I was doing and the houses I'd flipped and the money I was making and this, that, and the other thing. And I said, look, if you guys want a piece of the action, you know, I'll take investments as low as $5,000. We'll put a fund together and I'll have money to go buy at the trustee sales. So I did that. I walked out of that room with 500 grand from uh, investors wow. that from That's a bunch awesome. of investors that all had guns. <laughs> <laughs> That's how they keep keep you honest, right? That's how you keep honest exactly. <laughs> so that was my first real estate fund and in, in fact most of those investors are with me to this day and that was uh what about 12 13 years ago. Wow. Uh, I've been getting them an average annual return over the years of about 20%. That's fantastic. Uh, which is pretty good for a 10 year or 12 year track record, especially given the fact that the markets fluctuated in both directions yep. an extreme amount. Uh, and then um, in 2008, when the market went nuts, uh, I had outgrown that. I knew I had to go even bigger. So when it was time to really scale up, uh, started uh, another uh, buy, fix and flip fund, raised a few million in that one, which allowed me to really scale up and, and, and buy a lot of houses and do the kind of volume I was doing. And then, uh, in 2011, I started buying to hold and uh, raised a few million in uh, some real estate funds for uh, for buying houses to hold. And then uh, uh, then I started doing multifamily about 10 years ago, buying apartment complexes and raised money from investors for uh, the apartment complex deals. And, and I currently own around 400 units in multifamily and, and a couple Jeez. different deals. So. Uh, managed to do that. So I, I basically I took this business from, you know, a little small, you know, 25 house operation per year. And then in the last five years, 
just in the last five years, grew over thirty million dollars in uh, in assets under management. So that's been insane, a, it's been a good ride. Brian. <laughs> I don't I don't think I realize. I, man, I'm blown away. I think I'm getting a man crush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please don't do that. <laughs> okay, all right, I won't do it. It's all right. There's a long distance between us here. Right. I can see you, but no. right, okay, exactly. So, do you mind if we talk about the fund a little more? The sure. funds and. So I've been actually wanting to do a fund for a couple of years and mm -hmm. it's not so much that I, I'm usually pretty good at pulling the trigger on things, right? right. But these dang funds, well, they, they cost a lot, which isn't, it's not a lot anymore now for me because, you know, anyway, I've done pretty well the last couple of years, but um, they take a long time to get going and I don't I just had other investors and other things going. Let's talk a little about the fund. What's the best way to get started? What is a fund for those listening? Um, and how have you've done several? I mean, you've got more experience with funds than anybody I know, probably. Um, do you mind? Let's dive into that a little bit. I've probably done um, at least a dozen funds Jeez. now, somewhere in that range. Um, a fund is essentially a vehicle where you raise money from investors to pool it together for you to use uh, to invest. Now, it's kind of like a mutual fund in stocks. If, if you if you don't want to go out and buy individual stocks. Uh, and, and open up an E-Trade account or something, put money in and, and pick, I'm going to buy Microsoft, I'm going to buy Facebook, I'm going to buy Google. If you don't want to do that, you can invest in a mutual fund where you give your money to Vanguard or something like that. And then they go out and they have a professional stock investor that picks the stocks that they invest in. And your money is pooled with the money of other investors together to buy all these stocks. And you own a fractionalized interest of the mutual fund. A fund in real estate terms is very similar vehicle. Uh, investors put the money into the fund and then the professional stock picker is equivalent to me as the professional real estate investor where I go out and make the real estate investments, which might be considered equivalent to going out and buying the individual stocks in a mutual fund. So uh, to start one, uh, what you do is you form an entity. It could be a limited partnership or an LLC. And then uh, you develop what's called a private placement memorandum, which is a disclosure document that discloses to investors all of the risks of investing in the fund, the purpose of the fund, uh, the forecast for the fund, and so on. Uh, and then you take subscriptions to the fund by uh, having investors complete a subscription agreement to be a subscriber. And then they, they send your subscription agreement in along with their funds and now they own a percentage interest of that fund. And the money is in the fund. I use the money discretionarily to go out and make acquisitions. That's kind of an oversimplification of mm -hmm. the steps, but it's a, it's the overview. Yeah. Now, do you use an attorney, a securities attorney? No, I just go on Google and, and pull up. No, of course I use an attorney. <laughs> hey, I'm, no, I've talked, <laughs> I've talked to a guy that I don't know that well or know if he knows what he's doing, but he, he didn't. He didn't. I know. I know. It's not crazy. Okay. Yeah. I, so I, just, I think I, it's crazy, but I don't, don't want to assume anything. I mean, you know a lot more about it than I do. So maybe, you know, you're, you're the expert here, right? Yeah. So you know, I, it's funny. I, I, people ask that question a lot. You know, I, I'm a, a member of a website where people ask questions and look for feedback and I provide feedback and I get a lot of questions on the site about people asking 
you know, can I just go Google uh, operating agreement and PPM and then just change the names yeah. to make my own? You can't do that. Yeah. I mean, these these things are so specific. Yeah, I agree. It would scare the, the heck out of me to do my own. <laughs> yeah, you absolutely couldn't. I mean, in fact, if you did, you could find yourself in jail and yeah. not because it's illegal to use the documents, but doing a fund, it's selling a security, selling a security has to comply with SEC regulations on how you do that. So in order to do it legally, you have to make sure that you follow the proper steps. And you, if you're not a securities attorney, trust me, you don't know the steps. Yeah, and I agree. even though I just outlined like a basic overview of how setting up a fund looks, it's a lot more detailed than that. And but the other on the flip side, though, the other thing that holds people up is they get so caught up in the details of like, OK, I got to find out how I need to do this step and that step and the other step. And no, you don't. All you need to do is get a securities attorney on your side. Yeah. Tell them what you want to do. And they know exactly how to walk you through everything and they'll do most of the work. OK, so let's break down the nuts and bolts. Like, let's say I'm, I'm going to I'm being selfish here, guys. You can listen in. But <laughs> I really want to start a fund. OK, so what are I've talked to a couple of attorneys over the past couple of years, but what are my first steps? How do I know how to find a good securities attorney? And then once I do, what do I talk to them about? So there's, before you even get to that point, there's a very important step that has to take place before you even call that securities attorney. And that step is, well, it's actually kind of a, a two-phased step. Phase one is you have to have an objective for the fund. So you have to know what you're going to do and how you're going to make money for your investors. That's phase one. Phase two is you want to know that you have an audience, that you actually have people that want to invest in your fund. Otherwise, you're completely wasting your time when you call your securities attorney. So to okay. now kind of dovetail into your question, uh, once you've said, all right, I'm going to set up a fund to flip houses I think that if I raise a million dollars, I have enough deal flow that I can put that capital to work. I can generate a 25% annualized return. Uh, I've got five guys that have $250,000 each. So I know I'll probably be able to raise that money. And I know that equals more than a million, but somebody will drop out, trust me. So you figure, okay, I, I've kind of got a plan and I know how I'm going to execute it. Now I got to go and implement it. So when you call your, the first thing you got to do is find a securities attorney. Now, can I back you up just a little bit? Yeah. So you're saying that you have the people that are ready to invest before you even contact the securities attorney? Yes and no. So what you're not going to do is you're not going to go out and say, oh, um, uh, hey, Bill, uh, I'm going to uh, set up a flip fund. It's going to earn 20% return and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You might do that, but you don't have to do that. But what you do have to do is you have to at least know that you know 5, 10, 15 people that have money to invest, okay. that have an interest in doing the type of things you're doing and that you know and that you've kind of had some dialogue with. So, for example, let's take a multifamily project. So when... I'm buying multifamily properties uh, in various states throughout the country, primarily Texas. But I'll say I'm going to go buy, a, I want to buy a multifamily project because I know it's a strong market. I know that I can find a deal over there, whatever the case may be. And knowing the investors that I know, I think I could probably raise two and a half million dollars within 30 days. Okay. So that tells me I can go out and look for a $5 million property. So now I'm going to go out and look for a $5 million property. When I find one, I tie it up. Now I go and say, all right, 
Now I go to the securities attorney and say, all right, I've got a property. I've uh, gotten contract. I've got investors that I think are going to be interested in this. Let's draw up the offering. They drop the offering. Then once the offering is drawn up, I go out to my list of investors and say, okay, here's the next one in our list. We just got another one over in Texas. It's this and that is going to return this and much, we think, based upon our pro forma numbers, which are very conservative, always be always under promise and over deliver, yeah. or this business will crush you. Yeah. Um, so at that point, then you go get the securities attorney and then you go out to the investors and say, here's a marketing package. Um, here's what we're doing. And you find out who's interested. Okay. So a lot of people, they say, well, you know, do I go out and find a deal or do I go out and find the investors? Which one comes first? Yeah. Now, I think you have to find the investors first. Now, it doesn't mean you have to have an offering. It doesn't mean you have to have a PPM. It doesn't mean you have to have a fund. It just means that you have to be talking to people and saying, look, this is the business I'm in. This is what I'm doing. You know, and some people will say, gosh, if, if you ever get another one, let me know. Yeah, because it's not like automatically I have this fund now. All these investors are going to come to me. You still they will not. To, yeah, they will not. <laughs> they will not. I guarantee you, if you spend all the money to put the fund together, that's the one where you won't raise a dollar. It's not, for it. If you build it, they will come. It doesn't work in this method. In this, it uh, doesn't. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work that way. Raising money is hard. Don't let me. Don't let it fool you. I mean, I know for that sure. I just said that I, in five years I grew this business into a, a thirty million dollar business, but the reality is. I had 15 years experience, well, no, at the time I had 20 years experience when we first started in major growth mode. Uh, I had hundreds of deals under my belt. I had an excellent track record. I had a small friends and family fund. This is what you call like your starter fund is like people you know and people you work with like mine was. I had done that before and proven that I could manage other people's money. Then I went out and really started going to the pavement. So for listeners that are saying like, gosh, you know, I'm I have no real estate experience right now, but, you know, I want to have a $30 million fund. So, you know, if I go see a securities attorney, I can get the documents and I can go out and raise the money. It's not that easy. They've got to hit the pavement. So a couple things. Now you've, you talked about, and you've got the people, you go find a deal. Now that's like multifamily, right? But how about your, there's two different kinds of funds. You know, one fund you're going after like this multi-million or a million dollar project, right? And then you have another fund where you're just flipping houses in, right? That's right. Those are totally different animals. They are. That's a good point. Yeah. So there's a couple different kinds of funds. One kind of a fund is an identified asset fund. So if we're going to go buy a a, a 150-unit multifamily property for $5 million, the asset that we're going to acquire is identified. We have said we're going to buy you know, this apartment complex at this address for this much money, this is what we need to raise in order to do it. This is what we think the returns are going to look like based upon our projections of the income and expenses. The other kind, and those are the easiest ones to sell, by the way, because investors can not only underwrite you as an investor, they can underwrite the deal as well. Specifically, yeah. Yeah, specifically. The other kind of, of fund is called a blind pool. And a blind pool fund is it's kind of exactly as it sounds. The money gets pooled together and nobody sees what you're going to buy because you haven't bought it yet. So for my single family funds, they're all blind pools. My I have four buy and hold funds and I have one uh, fix and flip fund and they're all blind pools. The money goes into the fund. There's no assets acquired at the time the money goes in. 
and nobody knows what I'm going to do with it. They're just basing their entire decision off of my track record and knowing what I, that, that I do what I say that I'm going to do and then some, and that I've been able to prove that I can do what I say I'm going to do. Okay. So let's focus on that one a little bit more, right? Um, how do you do the split up? Is it like 50-50? Are there fees that your company's getting? Um, how's that breakdown work? The breakdown is very, um, it's, it's variable. Now our structure, whatever our structure is, doesn't really matter to anyone else out there because your structure is going to be different. Okay. So the, the way I always tell people it works like this, the split that you do between you and your investor is going to be highly dependent upon your relationship with that investor. So in other words, if you say, I'm going to start a blind pool to flip houses and I'm going to get Uncle Joe and Cousin Tom and, you know, Aunt Wilma and, and all these people to invest in it, you could probably get a pretty good deal for yourself. And if even if you don't have much of a track record, you know, you might be able to negotiate a 50-50 profit split. Uh, you know, maybe you could even do better than that and get yeah. a 60-40 profit split in your favor. Uh if you're going out and now you're going to angel invest, angel type investors that you don't know uh, and that have experience investing in offerings, you're not going to get those kind of terms. Okay. So you might have to do 80-20 in their favor okay. in order to get them interested. But so, you don't have any risk necessarily. So in that event, you don't have, well, y yes and no. I mean, okay. on, on one hand, you don't, if you don't have any money in the deal yourself, which I typically do in okay. ours, but okay. you don't have Fair to. Enough. I mean, you can, you can do it one of these without having any money. And yeah. in some of my funds, I don't have any money of my own in them. Yeah. And in some I do. Uh, so your risk is limited monetarily, but what is at risk? Well, a few things. One is your reputation. Your reputation's at risk because if you screw up your yep, fund, you're not going to get another fund. Yeah. Uh, the second thing that's at risk is your freedom because if you don't do this legally and you don't do it right yeah, and you don't I, take care of your investors, you can find yourself in yes, prison. And okay. there, I, you know, there's you read the newspapers. I can show you article after yeah. article of syndicators who get into trouble because they're stealing the money or they're investing yeah. in stuff they shouldn't be investing in. So there, there is risk on behalf okay. of the syndicator okay. to a certain extent. Uh, but when you're looking at it from what money do you have on at risk on the table versus what you should be able to get as compensation? It really just depends. So I'll kind of give you a, a an outline of what mine looks like. So in a buy and hold fund, buy and hold fund, uh, it's a little bit less labor intensive for me. So whatever the asset is, I can give more of the profit to the investor than I could in one that was really more active. So in our multifamily deals, for example, the investors get 100% of the return until they achieve an 8% IRR on their investment. Okay. So they have 8% preferred return. 8% preferred return. Okay. okay. And then they get somewhere between 30, uh, 50 and 70% of the profits after that. And it varies deal by deal because I customize the split waterfall depending upon how good the deal is. You know, a deal that's really good and it's going to perform miraculously, yeah. you know, you're going to have a larger split for the sponsor because you get compensated for bringing that incredible deal. Yeah. 
Uh, one that's not going to perform as miraculously. You want to give more to the investors so you can make sure regardless, they're going to want to make a certain amount of money. So if you they're can't make that, return. then it's, it's not going to work. If okay. you can't underwrite the deal after all splits for them getting a return in the high teens, they're probably not going to invest. Probably not going to do it. So they yeah, get the 8% product. preferred. So they feel pretty good. I'm going to make at least 8%. And yeah. then anything on top of that is, is gravy. And I'm hoping I can make 17, 18% annualized exactly on that exactly okay. exactly and you know we had one where we promised exactly that and we ended up getting them a 43 percent irr that's awesome in 20 months that's so you know that's the kind of thing that you know you want to outperform your Over-perform. projections but you still have to be able to show that they're going to get a return in the high teens or, or they're probably just not going to do the deal if it's a eight or nine or ten percent return after all splits and fees, they're going to look at your thing and they're going to say, well, if he's saying eight or nine or 10, it's probably going to be six, seven or eight. And yeah. so I'm just going to go do this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now, it's a little a, different. So it's some for yeah. some people. So, okay. Exactly. Now on a buy and uh, flip, fix and flip fund, that's a different story. A fix and flip fund is very labor intensive. It takes a lot to put those together and, and keep them going. It's, it's a lot of work. So on that, I've actually flip-flopped the split so that I get 70% and the investor gets 30%. Okay. Now, I'm also bringing capital to the table because we're bringing in leverage on the okay. deals that we buy so we can, we're can able to uh, boost the returns through leverage. And, now, that's bank bank financing? It's, uh, it's not. It used to be bank financing, and I found that the bank financing, albeit a lower interest rate than I could get elsewhere, uh-huh was so cumbersome and time consuming that I actually can achieve a higher return to my investors by paying a little bit more interest and using private financing. So now I've created a network of private investors that fund debt for me. And you know we can leverage up to around $10 million or so in debt just from making a few phone calls to people and putting loans on houses. And I can get the money within 48 hours instead of what the bank would take me 45 days. Jeez. So, you know, it just allows a lot more velocity of capital. So, so I don't use okay. bank financing. You just but, want to cancel lunch. Let's, uh, it, this is going to take a couple more hours. No, I'm just kidding. Right. No, I'm not really. <laughs> well, so just to, to, just to kind of finish up that point on the profit split, even though in the flip fund, uh, the investors only get 30%. There's there's two different options that they have. They could get 30% or 50% depending upon whether they want to pref or not and they want distributions or not. But regardless of that, I'm still able to deliver a return to those investors that's averaged between 20 to 30% over the last five years. Wow. So I don't need to give 50%, 60%, 70% of the profits to the yeah, investors. Yeah, because yeah, they're looking to make their... Now, that that's amazing to me because... I mean, we're in the market right now is pretty tight margins, right? So have those margins gone down a little bit? My margins have actually gone up. Over well, it's because the, the, the market's gone up. You're right. Okay. So I guess there's two margins. There's the margin where you're buying the house and kind of what you project might happen. And then there's what the market does. And like we talked about, there's some relativity. So if I'm basing my after repaired value on what house is selling for today, but the market goes up, then my margins ended up being pretty good. So, okay. Well, that's part of it. But I don't ever underwrite a deal on what it might be worth later. I always underwrite yeah, it based on I don't what either. it's worth today. Yeah. Uh, but even even when I look at what it's worth today, my margins have actually expanded. And uh, that seems very counterintuitive because it's a very competitive market. Yeah, it's really interesting. But I've actually found that my discount to market value has gone up 
In fact, uh, deals that I've acquired over the last six months, a number of them have far, far, far surpassed the margins that I've ever received on deals before. And in fact, I have three in my pipeline right now that will probably break my profit record. Wow. That's a 25 year string. So Jeez. it's not just about markets. It's not just about competition. It's about how uh, creative you are in going out and finding deals and how uh, good of a negotiator you are to, to get those uh, properties. Now, is that partly because you you haven't just been doing trustee sales? Is that yeah. Right. If I was only buying at the trustee sale, my margins probably would be compressed. But you know, now that I'm buying direct from sellers, we're getting some great deals there. Through our networking, we've gotten some great deals that have far surpassed margins that I've received at the auction. All right. We've got 10 minutes and I have 100 things I want to talk to you about. Let's talk about what are some of the things you're doing to get some of these direct these deals from direct sellers? Um, you know, that's a really good question. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just, people are just reaching out to me and saying, Hey, uh, I've got this house, you know, a lot of that's kind of like me too. I mean, I have a lot of wholesalers that bring me houses and people, it's almost like, you know, you, 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 I think you've kind of mentioned, we've mentioned bigger pockets a couple of times. I did this, I'm doing this thread and that's, um, anyway, I'm doing this thread on bigger pockets if I'm trying to buy 150 houses this year and we're low behind. And at first it's almost like people like, if I wasn't able to give them all the details that they wanted, it's like they thought I was not telling the truth, you know, but right. when you're doing that high of volume, you can't have your hand in every single little detail of every single little thing that goes on in every single little house, right? You just know the numbers pretty much. That's right. You go so, from a higher level. Yeah. But you, you are doing, you are starting to do some direct marketing. What are, where are you guys going to focus or where, where have you been focusing? In the 13 county region where we operate here in Northern California, San Francisco Bay Area and Sacramento area uh, primarily. But I'll tell you, you know, just to dovetail back on, you asked the question, you know, what are you doing to get these deals? And and I said, nothing really, but that's actually not quite true. I think people are bringing me deals. And the reason that they're doing that is because here's what I am doing. They know that if I tell them that I'll give them $150,000 for the house, I will give them $150,000 for the house. If I tell them I will close day after tomorrow, I will close day after tomorrow. I don't play games. Uh, I don't try to renegotiate unless, of course, something comes up that, that, you know, they didn't disclose to me and I never could have known on my own. So doing what you say you're going to do carries a lot of weight in this business. And people will bring things to you if they know you can perform and you've shown them that you'll perform. So that's, that's, I guess, what I'm doing. And I've purchased the majority of my houses over the past year with the same four people. Um, one being my agent and then three wholesalers. And that's, that's like a, that's the awesome. majority of the houses I bought. So that's, it's so true. And I will overpay them. There's, I just, uh, one guy, you know, he, he sold me a house that burnt down <laughs> <laughs> and you mentioned breaking your record. You know, we, we by far broke our record on that house because what the insurance paid us. You know, we, nice. And so I'm, I'm sending him and his wife on a trip to Hawaii, all expense paid. We just finally, anyway, so things like that, you know, go, go miles for you sure. Know, take, that's the best kind of marketing, if you will, that, that you can do is taking care of the people that bring you houses. So everything in this business is integrity based. All right, Brian, I want to respect your time. I, I do hope that sometime, maybe in a few months we can get on here again. Cause I'm, I really like talking to you you know, it's nothing weird. I'm joking about the man, Chris, don't, don't, don't avoid my calls, but right. Exactly. What, I mean, what can we do for you? I mean, 
I know with the funds, you have to be careful about NOAA public offering type things. But if anyone's interested in working with you or net, what, what's the best way they can get a hold of you in the way that you want? Um, they can connect with you. Any final words? Anything you got? <laughs> well, uh, one thing I'd have just to comment on that is uh, now there's been a change in the law and you actually can advertise for private offerings, which is something that you couldn't do up until uh, really? very, very recently. Man, I am so behind. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, there's like three articles that I have. I'm like on my calendar says, read those articles sometime. <laughs> right. Yeah, this, this, make this one of them because now you can actually advertise for investors. They're, it adds to the complexity of how you have to structure your offering. And, you know, now you have to be able to prove that the investors in your fund are accredited investors, which means a million net worth and some certain income requirements. Okay. Uh, so we, uh, we actually did structure our latest buy and hold offering as a, uh, a it's called a 506C offering, which allows us to advertise for investors. So uh, we haven't advertised yet. Uh, so, so far, we've been raising capital from you know the, our our internal contacts, but at some point we probably will. But despite all of that, anyway, on to your second question: uh, How do people find me? Uh, a lot of people find me on BiggerPockets.com. It's a, a website where people post real estate questions and so on, and I'm a pretty active member there. Uh, I have a uh, our company's website is uh, PraxCap.com, which is P as in Paul, R A X. C-A-P, as in Paul, dot com for okay. Praxis Capital. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's stuff on there that talks about what we do as a company and uh, and as a, um, as a source of investments. Okay. We'll link up to that in the show notes. And does, you know, you mentioned there's not a lot of trustee sub buyers that do interviews like this. And I know you are in bigger pockets a lot. Um, you know, just saying how to, does, do things like that help you gain exposure to potential investors or things like that? Um, is that beneficial, you know, for people out there looking to raise money, uh, who are maybe investors right now, but just trying to take things to the next level? What do those kind of things help? Has that been helpful to you? I found it to be an extremely helpful, but you have to use it right. I mean, you can't go to a site like that and post up like, Hey, uh, I just joined the site and I started a fund and I want to raise a million dollars and no. people are going to start contacting you to do that. Uh, I don't use the site in that way. Uh, the way I use it is and I really, it was funny. I joined the site because I was kind of browsing around one night and stumbled across it and thought, you know, here's a place where I can take my 25 years of real estate experience and give some of that back to people who are trying to learn things. And, yeah. you know, I can answer people's questions. And, and that's pretty much all I've ever done on the site is just answer people's questions. I don't post a lot of questions. I just try to help people with, you know, with their business. And that it's amazing what you can get back when you give back. It's pretty amazing. And so that that's how I use it. Okay, great. And, and yeah, it has been beneficial as a result. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we got to go. I hate to say it, but we got to go, Brian. I got to <laughs> let you go. So th it's time to get back to buying some more houses. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Um, any, any final words of encouragement to anyone out there? Um, yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, people, uh, ask me about, uh, you know, what it is that, uh, you know, if you're just trying to get started and what sets apart successful investors from those who fail or never get started. And, you know, I could just offer a few, I, I think, um, one is courage. I think people let fear overwhelm them. Uh, that fear causes them to focus on mundane tasks instead of taking the leap into doing something actually meaningful. Love it. Uh, so people like to be comfortable, and I think successful people embrace pushing the limits of their comfort zone. Uh, so, so that's one piece of advice I could pass off. The other one that I can pass off, uh, which I think is a great one, is a, a saying that I have. It's a happy wife, happy life. <laughs> I love it. 
So uh, with that, I know that destroys your man crush. So I guess we can leave it there. <laughs> hey, I, I just wrote a love song for my wife on her birthday a couple of days ago. So we're, we're uh, good. now you're making we're me good. look bad. Thanks a lot. Why couldn't we have just ended the interview I've never, after that? I've never done that before. Anyway, it's, I sing on my podcast. So I thought I'd sing for her. But anyway, um, <laughs> I agree 100 percent as you probably have the curse of the entrepreneur, just like I do where it's good because we love what we do and we're passionate about it and we get excited, but we have to have that balance. So that's right. Um, I could not agree more. So thanks again, Brian. It, it has been huge. Um, maybe we can get you on again in a couple months or so um, and uh, and keep learning more. So sounds great. I look forward to it. Thanks for the invite. It's been a pleasure being here. All right. We'll, we'll be in touch. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Was he something else or what, guys? I mean, Brian, you could just tell, he's just an overall great, genuine guy. And he's just a machine in <laughs> what he's done over the past several years. Um, anyway, someone I really look up to a lot, and you could probably now understand you know, the reason for my man crush. Okay. So, all right, enough with that. Um, you can head over to housewinghq.com slash episode. What episode are we on? Episode 40. Three. Yes, that is correct. Episode 43. And check out the show notes, any links or notes there, and leave any questions or comments you might have. And we're happy to get back to you on those. And don't forget about the our upcoming webinars uh, where you can learn more about the Felford Fast program, which we will be launching in July. Housepinghq.com slash webinar, or you can shoot us an email directly at info at a Com. All right, guys, keep doing what you're doing. You're on the right track. Super proud of you for everything you're doing. Um, you're in the right place. So let's keep it going. And with that, have a great week and we'll see you on the flip side. This has been the House Flipping HQ podcast. Your, your ultimate house flipping resource for intelligent real estate investing and financial freedom. Check out amazing tutorials, blogs, how-tos, and other inspiring podcasts with house flipping experts at houseflippinghq.com. Houseflippinghq.com.